0: Hello, everybody. I'm Ed Robinson, and welcome to another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. On the program, I have United States track and field athlete Chanel Price. She's going to talk about her career, also the effects of the coronavirus, also Tokyo 2021, and more. That's all coming up after the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Robinson Show.
1: People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room. You don't go to a clinic. You get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're going to do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick. I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick. I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician.
2: That's the lineup, Azamasova of Belarus, Masnar Czech Republic, Hikotska of Poland, Price, USA, Bukul, Switzerland, and Lupu, who was seventh. Off they go then on their four laps of the track, Azamasova, Masnar, Hikotska, Price, Bukul, and Lupu, they break from lanes now. And it's Price challenging Arzamasova, the Belarusian, who's just trying to hold on to that inside lane. But it is Price, the American, from Arzamasova, from Lupu. Hikotska, at the moment, in fourth place. It's still quick, 57.73, although the 29.85 second 200 meters, two seconds slower than the first. Chanel Price, from the United States of America, leads. Then Arzamasova. Hikotska has taken close order now into third place. Price still leads, being challenged now by Arza Masova. Here comes Hikotska, so wonder if she can hear the roars of the cloud. She's into third place, is Hikotska. But Price holds on with just 100 metres to go. Now, Hikotska's on the inside, hoping to break through. But what a run this is by Chanel Price. She'd be one of the more surprising champions here. She is. The silver goes to Hikotska and the bronze Wow, what a race that was A splendid run, Stuart Yeah, I thought so I think uh, Lupu here Was challenging very strongly in the final stages Along with... Uh
0: all right, everybody, welcome back to the program. That audio that you heard was courtesy of NBC and Universal Sports. That was Chanel Price becoming the 800-meters champion at the World Indoor Championships in 2014 in Sopot, Poland. And speaking of Chanel, we want to welcome United States track and field athlete Chanel Price to the program. Hello, Chanel. How's everything?
3: Hi, I'm doing well. That, that, uh, that audio brought back good memories, so thank you for that. <laughs>
0: Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. Uh, that's, a, that's what we do right here on The Robinson Show from time to time. We pull up a little audio and just uh, bring back some great memories and hopefully use that as a stepping stone, as a motivational tool to uh, get get the athletes and just People from all walks of life to get them going, and um, that was definitely a highlight for you. We're going to get more into that in just a moment, but let's start off how it uh, how it all began for you. You were born in uh, Northern New Jersey in Livingston, New Jersey, but you grew up in Easton, Pennsylvania. Now, growing up in Easton was uh, was track and field something big, or was this something that you gravitated towards a little bit later on in life?
3: So um, I would say. I didn't necessarily want to run track. (laughs) Um, My parents involved my brother and I in a ton of sports growing up. Um, I I danced from the age of three and then slowly after that picked up soccer, basketball, tennis. um, Track, I did it sometimes, but it was probably my least favorite. Um, I didn't really like the practice. I just liked going to the meets. Um but going into high school, my parents sat me down and said You know it's it's time to, to focus on one sport and hopefully get a scholarship and um they saw something in me and running that I didn't quite see in myself yet and persuaded me to to focus on track going into high school so um, I did it growing up, but I started taking it seriously going into high school um by my parents' request
0: <laughs> okay well let's uh let's stay with uh your you're growing up in uh uh getting into – well, actually being brought into track and field uh, from your parents. In eastern Pennsylvania – well, Pennsylvania in general, we know that much of the northeast, uh, at their athletes that really love their track and field. But where you grew up, particularly in eastern, did a lot of kids participate in track and field, or was it other sports that they were involved in?
3: So at Easton, the high school that, or even like um, middle, I I started middle school in Easton, um, elementary school was in Jersey, but um, middle school in Easton and even high school in Easton, it's a very athletic town. Um, I wouldn't say that track is uh, the most popular sport, but it it is pretty popular. Um, I would say uh, football is up there and basketball, um, but, a lot i mean I was, a lot of athletes did did get into running i think mostly just to stay in shape for their main sport though so um yeah i think once i, I would say once i started running at Easton and uh kind of making a name for it it did com- become a little bit more popular a little bit more popular but it was it wasn't it wasn't that popular of a sport
0: Okay, well, let's uh, stay with what you did during your uh, high school career at Easton Easton High School in uh, Easton, Pennsylvania. You did very well. Matter of fact, in 2007, you won the Nike High School Nationals title in the 800 meters, and it also you had a personal best. In 2008 at the Pre-Fontaine Classic, where you had the second fastest time ever by an American high school athlete, and then you capped off your high school career by winning two awards, not only did you win the Gatorade Girls High School Athlete of the Year, but you also won the Gatorade Girls High School Track and Field Athlete of the Year, so you had uh, – in 2008 was a great year for you, winning, capturing both awards – you had some tough competition within those categories. Did you ever expect yourself? Did you ever see yourself achieving the winning those awards in track and field?
3: I think um, by by my senior year, with with how things were going, i i had a, a good, I had good hopes that I would win the Gatorade Track and Field Athlete of the Year. But in terms of um, winning the overall, the overall award, you know, the Gatorade Player of the Year, you know, this award is given to um, the best female high school athlete of any sport. Um, you know, that one I was like, uh, I, I don't know if they're going to give this to me. You know, they, they fly you out to the ESPY Awards and, and, and you see those other women in, and from the other sports that you're up against. You know the the basketball player and the soccer player and the cross country runner and they're all phenomenal. And so when um when we were at the dinner and, and they announced me as the winner and Allison Felix handed me that trophy, you know my face was just like wow, like this this is this, that was definitely a, a surprise and 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 a, and a highlight of my career. Even though it was 12 years ago, it's still a big highlight of my career.
0: Yeah, you know, you met, I mentioned that award, particularly the Gatorade Girls High School Track and Field Athlete of the Year. That was a, an award that was won by Allison Felix, and I had a pre. I also had someone on the show not too long ago by the name of Are you familiar with uh, a pentathlete named Kendall Williams?
3: Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had
0: I had Kendall on a previous podcast. She was also a, a former winner of the Gatorade Girls High School Track and Field. Athlete of the Year Award, so definitely that's uh, you're in a, a class with some uh, great athletes. And so after you completed your successful career in high school, you also did great things from an academic standpoint. You wound up earning a scholarship to the University of Tennessee to study journalism and electronic media. Was Tennessee your first choice of uh, college to go to, or did you have authors auth- from other schools?
3: Yeah, so I I had a lot of offers from schools um from all over the country and um I had I had a lot of interest but my main question was you know what coach is going to be able to get me under under two minutes Point I was already at 201 and um which was at the time faster than a lot of a lot of college women and so I just when these coaches were coming to my house and, and, and pitching their schools to me, my, that would be my question. What is your plan to develop me? Because I'm, I'm already pretty far along. And um, JJ Clark at the university of Tennessee, you know, he, he had an answer and he had a plan and he had proof from tons and tons of other women that he had already taken under two minutes that he could do it, that he was going to be the one to do it. So I felt comfortable, um, Heading out to Knoxville and, and and being under his leadership, so um, yeah, it was pretty, it was a pretty easy choice for me uh, with Tennessee. It made the most sense for me.
0: Normally, during that period of time when athletes or just college students in general prepare to either go to college or go into the military, normally it's a big transition in their life. Any culture shock going from Easton to Knoxville?
3: Um. I wouldn't say it was much of a culture shock um the 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 women on the University of Tennessee team we were a very diverse team, and they immediately become they they immediately became my family um so that that's what was i was I'm very close to my family back home and so um being able to go there and feel like I had family away from home was was really helpful for me. I would say the biggest shock for me came um athletically because uh, you know, here I was just named the the Gatorade Player of the Year, and I'm trying. I'm 17 years old, moving away from home, and trying to carry that pressure that comes with with um, you know maintaining that that level. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I had a lot of expectation to to from myself to go, and you know I wanted to win NCAA's as a freshman. I wanted to I wanted to do all these crazy things, but I just put way 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 too much pressure on myself, and I think that was the biggest. Um, the biggest shock for me in college was I just wasn't mentally ready. In my opinion, looking back, I, I just wasn't I wasn't mentally ready for the amount of pressure that came with being the Gatorade Player of the Year. <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, that definitely comes a lot. See, a lot of people when they see athletes, they normally think they kind of have it all together. But you know, sometimes if you're you can be physically ready, but if you're not mentally. Prepared, that can can be just as damaging right there. But you definitely were able to make the most out of your time at the University of Tennessee. Matter of fact, I'm looking at uh, you were a member of not only the track and field team, but you were also a member of the cross-country team as well. Did you have an opportunity to run some cross-country when you were in high school?
3: I did. I did. My freshman year in high school when the cross-country coach approached me, I was like, Absolutely not. I'm not doing that. Um, but by my sophomore year, she persuaded me that it would be helpful for the 800 if I did a little bit of cross country. So I, I decided to give it a try. And it was actually really fun. It was it was a, it was a break from from the pressure that I had track. So uh, yeah, cross country. I did do it my sophomore, junior and senior year and uh, was actually pretty good at it. I think the best I got was third in the state my junior year. So um yeah, I did do cross-country, and JJ knew that. And so at Tennessee, I was on the cross-country team as well.
0: Okay, so during your time at the uh, University of Tennessee, I'm just looking at some of your statistics right here. You were, uh, let's see, in your sophomore year, you ran a few cross-country races, and then on the track, you were a runner-up in the 800 meters at, in the SEC Indoor Championships where you set uh, personal best. And then also you went on to win the SEC and actually in the in two thousand in the two thousand and eleven indoor season you won the SEC eight hundred meter title and also in the distance medley relay you placed sixth in that same competition. But also in that same year you would go on to win the SEC outdoor title in the eight hundred meters. So definitely you really as you advanced as you as the years went by during your time at at Tennessee, you really improved your your times, and also you started winning more titles. Did mental prep, as you mentioned earlier about mental preparation, did you prepare, you preparing mentally, did that make a big difference in you uh, achieving more on the track?
3: Yes, yes, definitely as I got older and um, started working with a sports psychologist throughout my years at Tennessee um, for that for that mental side because like you said you could be physically ready but if you're a mental head case it doesn't matter how fit you are so um jj recognized that i recognized that and we really started to try to figure things out mentally and as we got a grip of of how of different mental strategies to work for me i did start to um to win some titles um i think what I still was a little bit frustrated in college because I was winning the titles, but my, um, my time wasn't getting much faster. Um, and I think I was, that what that's rated me um, the most throughout college is that I just so desperately wanted to dip under two minutes. Um, and so that, that's, that was probably the most frustrating part. And also that I never, a lot of people don't know this, but I never won an NCAA 800 meter, um, title. Um, which is something that I thought I was going to do my freshman year. So to walk away without ever winning a national title, that that was pretty disappointing um, for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's tough sometimes. I mean, and I was going to mention, I was going to, uh, that was going to actually go into my next question. You mentioned that you never won an NCAA 800 meter title, but we know how competitive track and field is in in the NCAA. But the SEC is a monster in its own right. Tennessee is in the same conference with LSU, Georgia, South Carolina. Also, there's Vanderbilt, there's Florida, and there's Alabama. So there are a ton of powerhouse schools in the SEC. We know about football. but track and field is no slouch in its own right. I asked Kendall Williams the same question. I also can't forget about Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So I'll ask you this question. During your time at Tennessee, who would you consider, in your opinion, who would you who would you have considered to be your uh, closest, uh, toughest rivals?
3: Uh definitely LSU. <laughs> definitely LSU. We had uh, Latavia Thomas, Charlene Lipsy, um, and so our conference meet, like you said, was almost just as hard as the the national championship. Um, yeah, LSU and Tennessee. We did not like each other when it came to the 800 meter at the pen relays, you know, if, if it, um, when it came down to the four by eight, you know, we, we, both teams desperately wanted to beat each other. We wanted to be known as the 800 meter powerhouse. So definitely LSU.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of talent right there. Come out of LSU every year. Names, as you mentioned, Latavia Thomas, and also uh, Charlene Lipsy and also Lolo Jones uh, went to LSU. So certainly that's always a tough, um, tough program right there. But, you managed to do pretty well during your time at the University of Tennessee. You won two SEC titles in the 800 meters, and also you performed well academically. You were on the SEC Academic Honor Roll, and you were awarded a NCAA Postgraduate Scholarship in 2012. And as I said earlier, you studied journalism and electronic media. What was it about those uh, those two fields that attracted you to to those uh, those areas?
3: Yeah, I've always loved to write. Um and so I figured doing something in the journalism side was a was a good fit for me. It was a really good school at the university of of Tennessee. I'm not sure um what I want to do exactly when I'm done running, but definitely something maybe with uh broadcasting or um, the writing aspect of, of media, I don't know, but that, that's always been an interest of mine. I have a blog, and hey, I just love to write, so that that's definitely what attracted me to that school.
0: Okay, so then after you earned your degree from the University of Tennessee, you decided to uh, turn pro, and your first year – as a professional a professional track and field athlete. You finished second in the 2013 United States Indoor Track and Field Championships. And then you hit a best later that year, a season's best, as you mentioned. Your goal was to do two minutes, and you clocked in two minutes at the <laughs> 2013 United States Outdoor Track and Field Championships. And also later in that year, you signed a contract with Nike. And I want to ask you I've had several track and field athletes on the program, and I always ask them about endorsement deals. And we know that it's a lot of companies out out there, but it's only so few advertising uh, in so few athletes that get endorsement deals. How were you able to secure a contract with Nike?
3: So uh, my first year out in 2013, um, when I ran that uh, two minutes at the USA, outdoor championship um I actually didn't that two minutes wasn't even good enough for me to make the final that year of USA's that's how stacked the 800 meter was in the USA that year and um I actually wanted to quit after that race I remember i was just like oh I'm so over this I I like maybe I am washed up maybe I am you know everybody was kind of saying I was burnt out from how good I did in high school and I was starting to believe that but um i decided to stick with it and that following year in 2014 is when i won the indoor uh, world championship and that's actually when um nike approached me about about signing me after i won that world title in poland um so um yeah that that it took me (laughs) to win to win world to to kind of from the endorsement uh from the shoe companies because um a lot of companies did believe that maybe my glory days were over because I, you know, I had a really, really remarkable high school career and, and didn't really show, I mean, I was okay in college, but not to the level that a lot of people thought I would be. And then in 2013 when I didn't make the final at USA's, um, I think companies were kind of just done with me. So um, I I knew that I had to do something special in 2014 if I wanted to, to get a shoe contract, and so I uh, I won the indoor world. <laughs> and that, that's what kind of sealed the deal for me. So everyone's journey looks a little bit different. A lot of athletes are, a lot of athletes sign um, their senior year in college. You know, after the NCAA meet, they'll get an agent and and they'll they'll uh, talk to different shoe companies. But my senior year, um, to be honest, no companies were really interested. Um, I came in third that year in the 800 at nationals. I think I ran 201. And that was the same time I ran four years ago in high school. So, like I said, a lot of companies weren't weren't really interested in me until I won that indoor title. I want to stay with,
0: with endorsement deals and track and field. Again, you have all of these shoe companies, and you have a lot of uh, clothing, uh, sporting goods stores and even a lot of uh, apparel lines as well. But it's, there's so many athletes, but there's only so much money to go around for track and field. In terms of landing in an endorsement deal, again, you're, you said your situation was unique because it was a show-and-prove type thing because you wound up winning the world endorse title in 2014. But how does a track and field athlete go about securing a contract? Does it go along in, in, in terms of your case of a show-and-prove type thing where you win a, a title, or do you have to have an agent to go and possibly court maybe a Nike or a shoe company or an apparel line? How do, How does that work?
3: Yeah, I think the most the most common scenario is um there um the agents are are at the NCAA outdoor meet um every year and as soon as an athlete perf- performs well and they are, you know, they are approached by an agent and um that or they're approached by many agents at that NCAA outdoor meet, and the um, they have they don't have much time to really choose one. It, it happens so quickly, from what I hear. This wasn't my my case, but from what I hear, that you're approached and you know five or six different agents are are selling you do for you, and you have to pick one pretty much right away. And then once you pick one, that agent. Um, kind of shops you to to all the different companies so nike adidas new balance puma they they shop you around and they they find what they feel is the best deal for you they bring it back to you 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 look it over with your trusted circle your parents your coach whatever and um just like that you're a pro athlete so you're uh it usually happens you know pretty quickly after the ncaa outdoor championships for the most likely you have to finish, you know, first or second in your um, in your event at that outdoor national championships to even be looked at by agents. There are some cases where um, there's people who don't finish that high and still get contracts, but if most likely you have to finish first or second and then um, an agent is pretty interested in you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, that that's interesting, right? There. You know, definitely, in the, and it's I've always been fascinated by the sport of track and field, particularly how endorsement deals are gained. We know about their superstars of the sport, but then what about the rest of the athletes that are trying to make, you know, earn a, earn a living and being a professional? It's always interesting how that works, but I've always been curious to ask about that. So, with you, I'm I'm going to bring up the race the 2014 IAAF World Indoor Championships in Sopot, Poland, where the race that you won, it got you your endorsement deal with Nike. You finished, you won the gold medal, became the 800-meter champion, and you actually said you had a a world-leading performance in that race. Just what was the preparation like leading up uh, to that uh, competition?
3: Yeah, I mean – 2014, like I said, in 2013 I really wanted I wanted to walk away, but um, I just decided to say, okay, just just give it one more year, Chanel. Let's just let's see what you can do. Um, and talking with JJ, we knew that um, I was going to have to do something special in order to 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 earn a contract, and and so we we came up with a training plan that was going to allow me to not only make the indoor world team but go for gold and um by that time I think I was with JJ for I think 6 years so I really trusted him um and yeah I mean it, it was grueling training <laughs> we were really really uh putting in some some special sessions and just really getting after it I was super focused I knew what I had to do um that year indoor usa championships um ajay wilson actually caught me at the line um but luckily they two people made the team so she won and i got second and and we we went on to represent um the usa at the indoor world and um to be honest everyone thought that ajay was going to be the one to bring home bring home gold for for america and um she unfortunately didn't make the final and I did, so now you know it's like, all right, Chanel. Now now you got to bring home gold for America. But I mean, that was already a goal of mine in the back of my head, so um, I didn't really let that pressure get to me. I, I knew what I had to do, and I just took the lead from the get go because that's how I like to run, and and kind of just played the catch me if you can type strategy. And um, yeah, yeah, it, it was it was the preparation was grueling, but um, it paid off, obviously. So. <laughs>
0: Well, it did definitely indeed paid off because you wind up winning the gold medal in the 800 meters, and also 2014 was a continued to be a fantastic year for you. So you win the 800 meters. You get the contract with Nike, and then you are a member of the United States uh, relay team at the 2014 IAAF World Relays in the Bahamas. And your teammate in the 4x100-meter relay team, you mentioned her earlier, Ajay Wilson, she was your teammate alongside Gina Gall and also Brenda Martinez. And you ladies wound up winning the gold medal in the 4 x 100 uh, four by 800 meter relay what was we know the Bahamas we know the, the the rivalry is insane between the U.S. and the Bahamas in track and field but what was it like preparing for this race knowing Ajay is, is no slouch in her own right and Gina and Brenda are respectful runners so what was the anticipation like coming into this race
3: Oh man, we were pumped. I mean, you're taking four ladies that are usually, um, rivalries who are usually competing against each other. And we have this special opportunity to come together as teammates for the first time. And, um, at that, at that year, our biggest competition was Kenya. Um, no one thought that we were going to be able to take Kenya down and, um, we, we were excited. We were, we were excited to prove everyone wrong. We knew that we had an extremely strong team. Um, they put me first and, and asked me to establish a lead, and, and that's what I did, and, and then the rest was history. Um, it, was, it was a really, really special moment for us, the very first World Relays, and um, we were the underdogs, and I think that, like I said earlier, the most special thing was, you know, I'm usually competing against these girls, so to be able to come together was it was a lot of fun. And there's the Bahamas puts on a fantastic me, and yes, we're there to um, we're there to compete, but the coaches allow us to have some fun, too. As long as we're ready to show up on race day, they allow us to, to, you know, go jet skiing and and go to the water park and just enjoy ourselves. And so um, it's just a fantastic meet, probably one of my favorite meets I've ever been to.
0: Yeah, rightfully so. I mean, I'm looking at who you were up against in that race, man, Jamaica. Oh, man, I'm looking at did Jamaica finish fifth in this race so the US finished number finished in first place. You guys took your team took on the gold medal. Kenya, as you mentioned, was your rival. They came and won the silver medal and then Russia finished third. So and then you continued you continued to be on a on a hot streak and you returned to the you went back you returned to the Bahamas in two thousand and fifteen in the IAAF World Relays and you were a member of the four by eight hundred meter relay team and you won the gold medal. And, again, you were joined by teammates Maggie, Maggie uh, Vesey, also uh, Molly Ludlow, and uh, Alicia Montagno. And, and this was interesting because Alicia did, some, did an amazing feat. We're going to talk about that in one moment. But you talked about your experience with Ajay, Brenda, and Gina. What was this experience like in uh, 2015, winning the gold?
3: This one was special, too, because it was, other than me, it was a completely different team. And so they were kind of looking at me for like advice, like, okay, you've been here before, <laughs> you know, what, what do we have to expect? What's the experience like? So it, it felt kind of good. I think I was the youngest on the team, but I, I was there the year before. So to be able to share my insights and for them to trust me, that was, that was cool. And again, they put me first leg and, you know, asked me to establish a lead and then the rest was history after that again. So um, it was, it, it it was, it was, um, it was special to, to defend our title because now we're not, we weren't the underdogs. We we were there. The target was on our back and people didn't know if we were going to be able to handle that, handle that pressure. And, and we did. And um, it felt good to, to walk away with the gold with a completely different team this time. It, it was really special.
0: Indeed. It was special because again, you came in uh, the United States, won the gold. Poland finished second. And Australia finished third. Now, we know Jamaica again has always has always been a rival to the U.S. for years. They came in fifth, but Kenya finished in, in last place in this one. Would you expect? Did you expect Kenya to be in the top three in the, in the top five with the
3: U.S. in this in this race? Yeah, we were pretty shocked because we thought that um, you know the year before we beat them, so we thought okay they they're coming for us this year, you know. <laughs> it's going to it's going to be a a fight to the end so um i'm not sure what happened there but um yeah uh we were we were pretty shocked that um kenya was was not
0: uh i want to ask you about one of your teammates uh alicia Montagno. she had a an inspirational story where in 2014 she ran the majority of the track season She came out there and, you know, made a bold statement, not just to women, but to the world that, yeah, I am am pregnant, but I'm continuing to perform and try to perform at a a high level. And she came back the following year. She had her baby and she came out with a vengeance and helping you guys out to win the gold medal. Uh, Was she somewhat of an inspirational uh, leader to you guys on the team?
3: Oh, absolutely. Alicia is um kind of, is, is definitely like a motherly figure to me. Um she's always there to just wipe my tears if I'm sad or celebrate with me if I'm happy. Um and she's just an inspiration to to not just runners but women in general and just to to be on that team with her was an honor and we showed her that honor by by putting her anchor leg because we trusted her to 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 bring it home no matter if she got the stick behind or ahead we knew that you know she would do what she had to do to get to get that um stick around in first place so we all Everyone on Teen USA, not just the girls on the 4x8, we all have a, a very big respect for her for what she stands for. Um, she's vocal, she fights, and um, and she she doesn't just fight on the track; she fights for what she believes. Off the track, as well, so I have a lot a lot of respect for her
0: rightfully so, and um definitely a lot of people have a lot of respect for her and she was able, as you said, she was able to take it home and win the gold for you guys in the relays and then also in that same year, you won the eight hundred meter title at the two thousand and fifteen North America Central American and Caribbean championships in San Jose, Costa Rica, and in two thousand and seventeen At the IAAF World Relays, the the places, Nassau and the Bahamas, you win another gold medal in a four-by-800-meter relay as a member of that team. And, again, you mentioned (laughs) one one of your rivals, uh, Charlene Lipsy. She's your teammate. And this time you've got another great runner in her, all right, uh, Krishuna Williams and also uh, Laura Rosler. What was that experience like? (laughs)
3: <laughs> this one was fun. Um, so uh, in 2015, I was the youngest, and now in 2017, now I'm the oldest. Um, and this, like um, none of the girls had r- ran at the world relays. Laura, Kishuna or Charlene. This was their first time. So um, yeah, just to kind of be, I, I guess um, the 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 oldest one that they're looking up to. That that was really cool. Um, and again, to be first leg, <laughs> um, just wanted to um give Charlene our anchor the biggest lead possible um and so yeah they they were a lot of fun it it was a um I think this one was the one I was most nervous for because we were such a young team um and but I mean I think this is the one we probably dominated the most (laughs) so yeah that one that one shocked me how um the competition really wasn't able to to hang with us that year so that that. I would say none of the wins were were easy, but that was probably our easiest victory as Team USA.
0: Okay, fair enough. And then, again, you and your team wound up winning the gold medal at the IAAF World Relays in 2017. Now, we're going to get more back into track and field for a moment, but one thing that has Slowed everybody down is covid nineteen coronavirus has impact a lot of has impacted a lot of people, not just in sports but just in society in general i 've asked some athletes what they have done to cope during this pandemic, whether it be from an athletic standpoint or from a mental standpoint. What have you done during this time? To cope with the pandemic, it, have you altered any training methods or have you done anything just to try to keep your uh, mental sanity? What have you done during this time?
3: Yeah, I'll start off by saying, like, the 20 most of um, 2017 after that world relays victory, and 2018 and 2019, I did. Um, Very, very little competing due to some health issues and then injuries. And so um, 2020, I um, decided to make a a coaching change this year. In October of 2019, I moved um, to Eugene, Oregon, to train under Mark Rowland with Oregon Track Club Elite. Um, And so I was just... (laughs) so excited to finally be healthy and to be under this fantastic coach and to be with this great group and things were looking well. And so then when, um, when, when news happened that things were going to be delayed for a year, rightfully so I was, I was pretty bummed just because like I said, these past three or so years, I've done very, very little competing. Um, and I was just ready to get back out there and do my thing. So, um, the first thing I did was I just allowed myself to feel those emotions. I think, you know, as athletes, we think we have to be tough, but, you know, we're human at the end of the day. So I allowed myself to feel angry. I allowed myself to feel sad. You know, I I went, I went through those emotions and then I said, okay, well let's, let's come up with a plan. And so that plan involved um, talking with Mark, uh, my coach. um, Okay. What, what now? And so his advice was, let's just keep the ball rolling because you your body has not been in sub-two-minute shape in a few years. And so I want to keep training you hard so that um, we can just get ahead of the game for next year. And he said, we looked at it and we said, okay, Yes, things are delayed, but this is probably a blessing in disguise for you personally, because now you have even more time to get ready and to adjust to this new training program. And so um, once I started to look at it from that perspective, um, I got excited again, because I'm like, okay, he's right. I have even more time to to adjust to his training and to get ready, because it's been a while. And so... um, I'm actually in a good spot mentally when I, when I do get a little unmotivated because right now we really aren't training for anything, um, which is hard because we're competitors. We like to compete and race. I remind myself, like, okay, you know, delay doesn't mean that it, it's never going to happen. It, it, it's going to come around. It'll be here before you know it. Um, just stick with it and uh, just keep adjusting to this new training. So it, it really just took a, a change in perspective, um, for me to, to get my motivation going again.
0: You're absolutely right about that. As they say, delay is not a denial. So, you know, sometimes it always it always works out and I just think uh, people just have coped with it in different ways. And it's good that you're making the most out of this. And I want to stay with your training methods for a moment. Have you been able to get outside and just run, just kind of do test races, or have you been primarily been – uh, staying inside and just doing uh, workouts just to kind of get keep the blood flowing, and whenever uh, USA Track and Field decides to say, "Hey, let's go on and 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 have a season."
3: Yeah, so um, here in Eugene, the tracks have have stayed open, um, and the trails. There's trails everywhere, Priest Trail and Amazon Trail. They're they're all open, so. Um, I've actually been able to, to stay on top of um, some pretty hard training. I live with my primary training partner, Sabrina Sutherland, and so we were allowed to go and train together. And so we've really stayed on top of it. Um, my coach has finally been um, allowed to come to our sessions. Um, and so um, I would say um, I'm going to – pretty good spot what my fellow competitors have had to have had to go through. I know that track tracks were closed for a lot of people. A lot of people weren't even able to leave the house. So, um, I think compared to others, I've, I've really been in a fortunate situation.
0: That's good to hear. And I want to know, speaking of being in a, an unfortunate situation, how about a US, USA track and field? Have you heard anything about, uh, anything from them in terms of, uh, Possibly maybe saving a season or just moving ahead to just looking forward to 2021? Have you been in contact with some representatives from USA Track and Field?
3: I have. I think that they are hoping to possibly host an outdoor championships for us, um, just to have something for us to look forward to. Um, they're weary about announcing an official day and an official place because we just don't know. But it really is a goal of theirs to put on um, a championship meet for us. Um, just so that as we're training out here every day, we have a date and a race to look forward to, which I think would help a lot of athletes. Because, like I said, we're competitors. That's why we do this. We want to race, we want to compete. And so just even if it means we have one competition this year, that's better than nothing. So um, they are looking to do that for us. It just has to, you know, it has to be safe at the end of the day.
0: Fair enough. It's all, remember, it's all about safety first. And speaking of safety first, of course, we know a lot of the world knows due to the pandemic, Tokyo – Will, no, will not be in 2020. It'll be next year. The plan is to have the Tokyo Summer Olympics in 2021. So what, what are you doing to just get ready for 2021? Because we know that we would have been in the heart of the, the meat of the track and field season with the Prefontaine Classic and Penn Relays mm-hmm. and Drake Relays and the Olympic Trials and all that stuff. So now with it taking place next summer, what is the plan right now for uh, Tokyo?
3: yeah yeah and I think that was my coach's argument you know like he's like if if tokyo twenty twenty was still on, you'd be in peak shape right now, so I'm just gonna keep training you and 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 getting your body um and 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 uh kind of uh attacking these sessions um so that when I do take a break this fall when I come back, I'm not like too far out of shape. Um, he doesn't, he just wants me to approach the season as if, um, there really was a season. And I mean, every athlete is, is approaching it differently. Some completely shut it down. Um, some are just, you know, going on runs and doing body work, you know, push ups and sit-ups just to stay sane. But we've taken the approach of less just, and, um, for me, I'm okay with that because like I said, these past few years, I really haven't been able to train or compete. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a good plan for me personally. So, um, yeah, I'm, st- I'm still getting after it. Even with no races in sight, I'm, I'm, I'm still training pretty hard.
0: All right. Well, well great to hear that. And um, I want to talk now about is, is there anything currently that you're working on? I know besides just kind of keeping up with your training, you and your training partner with the Oregon Track Club, but you also mentioned about a, a blog that you have. Are you currently working on your blog when you're not running?
3: Yeah, I still do um a lot of a lot of writing. I'm I'm currently working on a piece, not for myself but um for uh runner space. They asked me to write a a letter to my younger self. So pick an age. Now I'm picking I'll pick uh maybe seventeen year old Chanel and uh to write a, a, a pretty lengthy letter to from what I know now, what would I tell 17-year-old Chanel? So I'm excited to get working on that. Um, so that that's currently a piece that that'll that'll be published, I think, um, sometime this month. Um, and uh, yeah, if I'm not writing, I'm I'm reading or watching a Netflix show with Sabrina. Or she's she's young, she's a little bit younger than me, so she keeps me up to date with the latest TikTok dances, so um, she's, uh, we pretty, <laughs> yeah, we both are pretty, you know, um, lighthearted, like to have fun, so, you know, when we're when we're not, we leave running at Come Home, we try to just be, you know, be human, have fun, um, FaceTime our families, you know, we're, we're both pretty close to our families, so we stay in contact with them, so, uh, yeah, we're athletes, but at the end of the day, we're human, and we just, we like to, you know, lay low, relax, do girly things. So <laughs> her and I okay. are really good fit for each other. Yeah.
0: Awesome. That's always great to have great chemistry right there with you and, you and your training partner, Sabrina. And uh, before we end this, in this interview, you've always been very open about your faith and how faith is very important to you. How has faith carried you? not just throughout your track and field career but currently what the world is experiencing with this pandemic.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think my my um before I found Christ, my identity was definitely, you know, Chanel Price the track star um and um that that is okay when you're when you're doing well, you feel very fulfilled, you feel on top of the world and you feel um feel high and mighty. But when your identity is in track and field and you're not doing well, you, it, it's very dangerous. You can get to a very, very, a low state of mind and, and almost not even really want to live anymore. And so when I found Christ and learned that like my identity is in Him and not on, um, it's not my worth is not based off of how I perform in a track and field race. That was very liberating for me. Um, that that um, once I've uh, developed my faith um track became fun again because I, I didn't put all that pressure on myself. I still take it very seriously. I still want to win, but winning doesn't define me. And so that that's what um that's been the biggest the biggest change with my faith in terms of running and um in terms of just my everyday life and what's going on around in the world. Um I I I honestly don't know how how people are are getting by without faith. I'd be going crazy right now if I, if I didn't have that to cling to and just know just the promise that better days are ahead and, and things are gonna turn around. Um, it doesn't deny the fact that we are in some crazy times, but, but hope is a powerful thing, you know, and so that's what that's what keeps me going and allows me to to be but to be positive. Um, doesn't mean that everything's always rainbows and butterflies, but um I still have hope even in in the darkness. So um, yeah, faith faith is powerful, and it's definitely an anchor in my life.
0: So thank you for asking that. <laughs> oh, you're, you're welcome. Absolutely. And as they say, faith is the substance of things hoped for and then the evidence of things not seen. And, you know, we're going through some turbulent times right now, and hopefully, there's, a, as you said, there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel. And, again, before we end this interview, of course, there was some, there have been some tragic events that have happened with the gentleman by the name of George Floyd who just – um, just very brutal, just just so sad for that, that gentleman to lose his life like that. Faith is something that has carried us through a lot of tough times, but you being a black woman and you having a father and you having a, a brother and just for black men in, in, in general, just what what's the message that you could send during this difficult time that we're in in our world, just as a society in general?
3: Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, it's so hard for me because, you know, my brother, um, Dominique Price, he is a police officer in eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, but at the end of the day, Dom is, he's a black man. And when he's not in uniform, he's profiled, you know. And um, I just, my message is that, you know, these, we, we it's like these incidents happen and we get outraged for a week or two and then life seems to just go back to normal and then it happens a month later and we get outraged and then life goes back to normal and then it happens again. It just seems like it's this cycle and I just, I don't know what what change looks like, but I hope that finally as a nation and as a world, we are determined to break this cycle because it, it's just like enough is enough but it's just hard because I I I don't know what that looks like it finally seems like and I hope and pray that this is true it finally seems like everyone is ready to at least do their part not everyone but a lot of people are ready to 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 work together to see to see what we can do to to um promote change. But yeah, I think the saddest part for me is the cycle. It's just a cycle, a cycle. And I just don't know what it's going to take to break that. But I think finally, 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 a lot of people are ready, are ready to figure out what it's going to take. So
0: well put. And, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us on the program. And before we let you go, Chanel, just let everybody know where they can find you on social media. And if you have a website, let them know that as well.
3: Yes, absolutely. So my website is ChanelPrice.com. And you can also search me on Facebook with, with my full name, Chanel Price. Um, on Instagram, I'm C. Price Run, the letter C, Price Run. And then on Twitter, I'm C. Price Run 7. So um, this was awesome. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this.
0: I enjoyed it as well. And thank you once again. And you heard it from Ashish Chanel Price, a United States track and field athlete. She's running and preparing for 2021. Hopefully we'll get a chance to see her in Tokyo and doing marvelous things and amazing things, not just in her career, but in her life as well. Chanel, thank you so much for being on the program. And if ever you want to come back on, feel free to let us know.
3: Thank you. You're awesome. Thank you. Have a good
0: one. You too. You're awesome as well. And that's going to do it for another exciting edition of the Robinson Show. I'm your host, Ed Robinson. And remember, put God first in everything you do, and you can't go wrong. Until next time, stick to the script. I'm out. Remember, stay safe, stay inside, and rest in peace, George Floyd. And we're going to leave you now with Chanel Price winning the gold medal from the 2014 World Indoor
2: Championships in Sopot,
0: Poland. So long, everyone.
2: That's the lineup. Arzamasova of Belarus, Masnar, Czech Republic, Hikotska of Poland, Price, USA, Bukul, Switzerland, and Lupu, who was seventh. Off they go then on their four laps of the track. Arzamasova, Masnar, Hikotska, Price, Bukul, and Lupu. They break from lanes now. And it's Price challenging Arzamasova, the Belarusian, who's just trying to hold on to that inside lane. But it is Price, the American, from Arzamasova, from Lupu. Hikotska at the moment in fourth place. It's still quick, 57.73, although the 29.85 second 200 meters, two seconds slower than the first. Chanel Price from the United States of America leads. Then Arzamasova. Hikotska has taken close order now into third place. Price still leads, being challenged now by Arza Masova. Here comes Hikotska. She can hear the roars of the cloud. She's into third place, is Hikotska. But Price holds on with just 100 meters to go. Now, Hikotska's on the inside, hoping to break through. But what a run this is by Chanel Price. She'd be one of the more surprising champions here. She is. The silver goes to Hikotska and the bronze. Well, what a race that was.
1: People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room, you don't go to a clinic, you get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're gonna do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm gonna go to an emergency room. I feel sick, I'm gonna just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician.